And so we might say this is an experience of the void. You're listening to the Digital Void Podcast, where we make sense of the borderlands of digital media, culture, technology, and memes. My name is Josh Chaplin, and my co-host is memeticist Dr. Jamie Cohen. I can't quite express my gratitude toward everyone who contributed to the first ever Meme in the Moment Festival last Tuesday, August 17th at Caveat in New York City. From day one, before COVID-19, it was our goal with Digital Void to bring celebrations and interrogations of digital culture into physical space, away from pricey conferences and expensive graduate programs. The energy was special from the moment we entered the building. As we prepared for the show, it was truly incredible to interact with people we had been virtually planning the festival with. And once the show kicked off, everything seemed to click. From Ryan Broderick's energizing opening talk, The Internet is Magic, to Callan Rosenblatt's examination of the life cycle of TikTok memes, Rebecca Jennings' They Don't Know Generations Aren't Real, Jamie's talk about living in a derivative world, and Jenny Chang and Dr. Anastasia Karklina Gabriel's critically important message in Please Meme Responsibly. Each talk was an important contribution to the field. We are so truly privileged to collaborate with everyone, and we're just getting started. Stay tuned for a special announcement on Monday, August 30th, about our next event at Caveat. Meanwhile, we're thrilled to continue the work we started today with a special conversation we recorded just a week before the Meme in the Moment Festival with founder of the Meme Studies Research Network and doctoral researcher in sociology, Edel Gallup. Gallup explains how she started an international and interdisciplinary research network for scholars who study memes to collaborate and organize. Gallup will explain how Turkey's Gezi Park protests inspired her mimetic research, explore how memes are generational artifacts, the dangers of assuming people engage with memes in good faith, and what is required for mainstream media to begin to better understand memes. Just a warning, you may notice several small sections of the podcast are digitally distorted. Don't adjust your headphones or tamper with your speaker. We did everything we could to recover the audio file. Thank you so much, Ido, for being here today. We're really interested in talking to you about both your research and the Meme Studies Research Network and how you're doing all this and what you're working on and how it will be. So thank you so much. Oh, thanks for having me. It's really lovely to talk to you. So uh, first question, I guess some intros. How did you begin your work and how did you come to uh, your PhD program and your start of your research and then the founding of the Meme Studies Research Network and where does that live? So my name's Adil. I'm originally from Turkey. And uh, that's kind of where my interest in memes started as well. So it didn't start in the US or the UK. <laughs> I come from a very uh, specific cultural context, which was initially which interested me in memes. And that was in 2013, when there was a kind of array of public protests in in our region, in the Middle Eastern uh, region. And this was um, the one that interested me most was the one that I was living through, which was the Gezi Park 
protests. Mm -hmm. And this is when when the protests were happening, the state blocked access to a bunch of social media sites that were kind of critical in disseminating information. So I became interested in how people were kind of bypassing these blockages, just like average people learning how to use VPNs, for instance, was really interesting to me. And then I started uh, getting more interested in how people were communicating through all this mess. And I saw obviously a lot of memes. So I I started my uh, master's program at LSE in London, and um, I decided to focus my master's um, dissertation on the topic of what I call dangerous wor- words uh, online. So I was looking at um, Turkish memes that were uh, <laughs> largely uh, resistant to mm. kind of state-controlled ways of communicating. Sure. So I started doing an ethnography of a Facebook group called Dangerous Turkish Minds, um, which is still going on today. And this was in 2016, I think. So that's how my interest is, interest started initially. And then I had a year off where I was unemployed and living with my parents. <laughs> in between my master's and my PhD. So that's when I, yeah, that's when I got to like, I guess, like think a lot about memes and digital culture. As we do with our downtime. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And the thing is that I was like, I'm just very interested in digital culture from the start because I grew up uh, moving around a lot because my parents work. So we moved around every three to four years and we would mostly spent most of my childhood in the Balkans and Southeastern Europe and parts of it in Turkey and some other places. So uh, digital culture was, it was like a place that I could go where there was stability. You know, my online friends were always online, whereas the friends that I would lose every three to four years, you know, I couldn't really keep in touch with them as, as well as I could um, with my online friends. So that's initially like I was, I was always really interested in internet subcultures. I grew up on the internet basically. So, um, and then after that, I, uh, I came to the University of Edinburgh because it has a very strong digital sociology program. There's a master's program called Digital Society and uh, also a bunch of really amazing researchers who focus on the internet and how um, society is affected by the changes on the internet and so I came here to work with them. And initially, you know, everyone's really rep- re- receptive to the idea of studying memes because mm-hmm. it's interesting, it's fun. And <laughs> but there's a problem of when you tell someone that you you know study memes, um, people kind kind of can't get over the novelty. That's right. Yeah of the situation. So I was finding it kind of frustrating that I couldn't really <laughs> go beyond the initial like surprise. Of, wow, that's really cool. Interesting. Um, and then we would kind of move on. You know, it's uh, people wouldn't really engage with the topic any further. So I, but I knew there were so many like meme people <laughs> around the world because I was reading them. You know, I've yeah. read Jamie's work. I've read Bradley Wiggins, not mm-hmm. the cyclist, but the researcher. <laughs> also, uh, Gabriela De Seta. I mean, all these people that I've gotten to talk to and like form relationships with, uh, I was reading their work and I knew there are other people studying this stuff, but we just couldn't be in contact with each other i wanted to like talk to other people who are studying memes i wanted to be challenged you know 
wasn't sure what the field was like. So one day I was on my Zotero library as mm-hmm. well, my best friend. As one does. Um, <laughs> and I was looking through my uh, my all the kind of articles and works I've referenced in my in my PhD thesis. I'm still writing it. I'm not done, unfortunately. But um, I said, oh, this is this could be like a good resource list. I should I should put this on Twitter and ask you know other people to edit it with me. And I got the idea. It was in like a like my own genius idea or anything. I totally like got the idea from uh, the LSE Digital Ethnography Collective. And I asked them initially, like, how did you do this? Can you help me out? How should I put this out there? And yeah, they're very, very helpful, very nice people, lovely people there. So uh, they gave me some pointers and as to like how to establish such a, like a, maybe a, a network or like a group of people interested in the same thing. But initially yeah, I started out with, oh, let me put this on Twitter. Here's a resource list. Would anyone want to come and edit it with me? And I was expecting like two or three people to say, oh yeah, this kind of sounds cool. And, you know, like talking to me and that kind of disappearing, you know, that's think that's what happens usually when you with collaborations and stuff. So, but I got so many like messages. I was like completely blown away. And I said, well, (laughs) this is crazy. All these like people coming out of the woodwork saying, I've been waiting for something like this. I can't find anyone who's like studying memes. I know there are people out there. I can't like get in contact with them or there isn't like a kind of central network of people that I can talk to, to get to contact with others. And I realized that was kind of like the, everyone was DMing me and I was like the central node. Um, so for people to like meet other people, they would have to go through me, which was kind of like narcissistic. So, uh, and it's like, obviously not something I want. So I decided, okay, I'll set up a discord. <laughs> yeah. So that's where people, we can have like different channels. People can do collaboration call outs. They can do like self-promotion. They can like have like reading lists, they can do all sorts of things and I wouldn't have to kind of run it, but yeah, (laughs) yeah. yeah. So that's the story. That was brilliant. Yeah. That's, that's an incredible timeline and you were right. I mean, I feel like the environment of Twitter is kind of like that, like it gets a lot of hype and then kind of fizzles very rapidly, especially with academic work. You kind of like put it out there and a lot of people like, oh, I'll do this. And then the day later or two days later, it just sort of like loses a bit of its steam. And if you're not actively pursuing it it just sort of like fuzzes out the uh, it's interesting to hear you're you're in a very good program and it's great to have to talk to you and knowing that you're in a program that like supports this i intended on doing my entire phd on memes but just like you i didn't find the support it wasn't because the school i went to stony brook and a university on long island in new york and it wasn't as if the school was disinterested it was just that the field was too new for them so it was they used a term that i didn't like they called it a moving target and i was i said you know there's just because it evolves in real time doesn't mean it can't be analyzed so the majority of my coursework was bent toward memes but i ended up doing my dissertation on tech criticism because it ended up being something comfortable for the program to handle but my entire study was memes. And at the same time I was teaching, or I had founded a new media major, an internet studies major on a, in another school. And so the, they were learning very in-depth work about memes at the same time. But again, it was, so, it's like you said, like the first part is students took it or my classmates were just like, oh, this is great. We're going to talk about Doge and we're going to do this. And then like three days or three weeks into a course or whatever, they're like, this is really serious. <laughs> it made them feel fairly like uncomfortable. <laughs> and I was like, well, 
yeah, it's a memes aren't just what you think they are. And that's exactly why we need to study them. So it was good that you had that, the support structure, your history back to the Gezi Park event that follows Tahrir Square two or two years later, Mm -hmm. several of my classmates in my PhD came from Turkey and under under Erdogan, it was very difficult for them to find good research tracks. And, and I want to acknowledge Turkey just a bit too, in terms of like the, the fires and just want to say, I hope everything's going safe and hope everything is okay at this point. But I know it's very difficult at this time. Yeah, I mean, as it's quite sad, but as Turkish people, we're kind of, we're just kind of used to things being shit all the time. <laughs> it's really... Again, it was part of my research, actually. I was trying to understand uh, like Turkish humor through works on like civil culture. And there is this like arc of, for instance, you have like kind of like Jewish humor in the US, you have Soviet humor, and then you have like Middle Eastern humor. And within this, you have like something like Turkish humor, which always the political humor kind of deals with a lot of like feelings of like kind of existential insecurity and feelings of nihilism because things are always it feels like things are always on the brink of completely falling apart but it the the problem is that they never do so that kind of becomes a almost like a hook of the joke but yeah it's it's um i don't want to talk over anyone but it's not been the easiest that's all i'll say because um i also don't want to get into any trouble sure so, I understand. um yeah it's not easy it's not easy being a journalist or a researcher or definitely not an academic in mm-hmm. turkey we I, I believe we can read enough into that to, to move forward from there yeah. uh, <laughs> the fortunate uh, event of you making this network though i think is really important to the entirety of the field because I do think that it isn't just the that that tension, that existential tension that comes from memes. I think is a one of the best ways of expressing uh, existential dread without pure cynicism. Because I think the creator economy that comes from memes is actually somewhat optimistic inside of this, as in like you wouldn't be making them if you if it was fully over. Mm-hmm. So I think that it's also almost like the 19th century literature that came from Russia in that dread space is also like being presented in the 21st <laughs> climate collapse uh, world's far right movements uh, that have uh, kind of allowed meme creators to express themselves in a way that is so helpful to a future understanding. Like when, when we look back and kind of get a read on and a, a presence, it carries, I think, a lot more emotion. Have you, from your work of like some of the Turkish memes to some of the memes you've been like identifying in your research, have you noticed uh, a trend of expression that is like something optimistic, cynical, nihilistic? How do you see it? Um, it's interesting because uh, because I'm Turkish and I know Turkish, I can, it's good to be able to uh, watch different spaces, meme spaces, so to speak. So uh, recently there's been that meme, especially used very often in the uh, the US, I think, of the couple um, and then, you know, the kind of doomer. Yeah, the doom, yeah. Um, and it says, you know, my parents at 30, oh, honey, let's buy a house, get a mortgage. Blah, blah. And uh, me at 30, oh, I can't wait until, you know, we get to eat the rich or something. <laughs> so seeing that and being like, wow, that's funny. But then also seeing 
wow, this is not relatable for me at all. Because, you know, there seems to be um, this kind of like idea, like in the West, that, you know, what used to be beautiful or like our our future has taken been taken away from, from us by boomers or, you know, things are not as good as they used to be while like the dream is shattered. Whereas in Turkey, I'm thinking about what my parents were doing when, you know, when they were 22 or something. My dad was stateless, you know, he didn't. Right. He was high loss. And I don't know, like my mom was going through some shit as well. And it's all because, you know, in the eighties, there was this huge like military coup in Turkey that, you know, came at and at the end, at the tail end of like, um, intense, like civil conflict. So it's interesting to see the way that these kind of like nihilistic memes are being used in the West versus other parts of the world where things haven't been that good ever. So in my opinion, Again, you can also like look, go back to kind of like the late Ottoman Empire where things were falling apart as well. And you have this, mm-hmm. the first um, political satire magazine in, in Turkey, um, well, in the Ottoman Empire called Diojan. It had a, uh, it had a statement on the, on the like first page that said, published when its authors aren't in jail um, or like can be read when not confiscated. So it's never been that easy in like other mm-hmm. parts of the world. So there's always been this like nihilistic tension of this like things falling apart constantly. So I think, yeah, the the memes that I've seen in, in the Turkish cyberspace, they've always been kind of it communicates a feeling of being comfortable with, with existential dread. Um, right. Whereas I think some of the memes that I'm seeing in the, in the West, especially in US context, it seems like it's, you know, people just coming to terms with the fact that they're going to have to live very differently from how their parents lived. So that's like kind of my like comparative bumbling. I don't know. No, that's, to me, that's exactly why. I think the Meme Studies Research Network is really important. I think a lot of original or early contemporary, I guess I'll put it, meme research is very Western, very, I would even almost say cosmopolitan, New York City based. Mm-hmm. And I think the global aspects of that, when the, the, are misunderstood or read through a wrong, an incorrect lens through the cosmopolitan lens of the West, mm-hmm. because that is a a B dichotomy of like the way youth and millennials and Gen Z in the United States are so I always call it United States memes decadent. You know, they're they're far more decadent than many of the others because their expressive nature sits on top of an, um, a missed opportunity of what underlies the structure. So many of our doomer memes are like some of the 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 returned Wojaks of the present come from this, this sense of already being privileged before you express that meme, not understanding that the rest of the globe, especially the excluded global South that we don't often interact with has a completely different longitudinal spectrum for meme expression. And so I, I, you mentioned G- Gabriella De Soto before I, I watched mm-hmm. his talk on the, the memes, the, the one you hosted mm-hmm. on the meme studies research now, fantastic talk. Yeah, and <laughs> how do you see digital ethnography doing like, is this going to open up the field? Are people going to have a much better way of gaining access to a more global understanding of memes? It depends, I think. <laughs> the problem with ethnography, I mean, I I do, I think I would call myself a digital ethnographer, but I'm very much aware of like the fact that it can be quote unquote unreliable mm. or like specifically positioned in a way that, you know, expresses more about the author than it 
expresses about what they're studying. So I completely understand those kind of complexities and I'm not going to act like they don't exist. But I think, yeah, digital ethnography does have a, as a method, it's, it's nuanced enough that beyond just creating kind of analyses, like semiotic analyses of like particular memes or like specific strands of like memes or specific templates or like an aesthetic of a meme, it has, we can use it to understand a space of memes and, you know, these like meme spaces, well, they don't just include exclusively memes. You know, you have memes, but also like you said previously, the creator economy plays a huge role in how memes are like produced, how they're disseminated and how people interact with them. But also it says a lot about the future of kind of labor and the future of creative labor and digital labor. So yeah, digital ethnography is, is really, I, I like it as a method because it can really provide the big, bigger picture, which is what I'm trying to do mostly with my work. I don't know if I'm like succeeding, but this is like my goal is to, yeah, sketch out a meme space rather than talk about just memes. Yeah, do you mind? So tell us about your research. Yeah. So my research is my thesis is tentatively called uh, Art Worlds Online Memes, Labor and Politics. You have to have the like the colon, like otherwise it's mm-hmm. not a PhD title. Um, <laughs> so yeah, my research focuses on a group of, I would call them niche meme creators um, on Instagram, um, and how they basically, let's say like make money, um, as meme creators. So I'm looking at how not just the making money part, but also the kind of politics of transaction. I'm looking at their careers as multimedia artists, how they connect with other meme creators and how they're creating their own kind of marginal digital art world. Um, and I'm doing that by doing a digital ethnography of each of these like um, meme creators, obviously with their consent, <laughs> their like direct written consent. I'm not um, like lurking um, a la like second life, looking at how, what like platforms they're using, what kind of products and services they offer um, as a way of making money. So I'm doing ethnographies of their Patreon presences. I'm looking at kind of the exhibitions they're involved in. I'm, so I also do some interviews with not just meme creators, but also people who, who have curated um, meme exhibitions, video assistants who've uh, helped um, kind of produce uh, live streamed meme shows. So I'm kind of trying to do the whole like Howard Becker art world ethnography from obviously uh, from my perspective and where I stand as a as a as a researcher. I think your research is that's fantastic. I think that's one of the overlooked aspects of the current fields. I get a lot of when I do like a bunch of writing, I get a lot, a lot of pitches at talking about that creator economy, but they're looking in more of a very specific business oriented focus. Mm-hmm. Like, is that is this a successful model? And then I could read inside the pitches, these undertones of being like, mm-hmm. can other people do this too? Like kind of like when in the early days of YouTubers, they're just like, oh, anybody can jump in on this and not realizing the extent of 
labor that was involved in actually doing it. So they were, yeah. it was widely overlooked. And on top of overlooked is the, the idea of uh, beyond the labor, but the awareness, the awareness of the reader, the awareness of the, the audience. And how much does that play into the labor itself of meme creation or, or even culture creation? Yeah. Just to like kind of respond to the first part of what you said, I like mm-hmm. totally agree because in my work, I've found that it's not just, you know, people don't do it just for economic uh, gain or whatever, like financial transactions, but there's a very strong kind of like strong networks of mutual aid. And all the people that I talked to, they were very, they were very interested in uh, trying to create, a, let's call it an economy that is um, just and equitable. And if there, if one person has more resources than the other, then they make sure to share it in any way possible. So there is like a, the optimist in me really does believe in the, in the success of these mm-hmm. like networks. But um, also, like you said, it kind of depends on the audience as well. Like I said, these are not like viral uh, makers. So their audience is very, um, very specific. So, um, very niche. Mm -hmm. So they meme about (laughs) things that, uh, not everyone, uh, (laughs) experiences. So when on a viral, like meme page, you might see like a meme about winning an argument in your head in the shower and everyone's like, yeah, I do that. (laughs) You know, like the, um, so, that's is something obviously that is that's going to be um relatable to many people and that's kind of the point as well but with the with the people with the creators that i have interviewed uh they all speak to a specific kind of um experience so many of them uh almost all of them i think are are um would define themselves as a uh, queer and uh, many of them come from immigrant backgrounds first um, some second or sometimes even first generation uh Americans so they're also this is like one of the I guess like sh- shortcomings of my research as well I'm like focusing um on uh, American meme creators at the moment mm-hmm. yeah so the audience is going to be, uh, you know, people who relate to that particular sort of content or find solidarity in the fact that these people exist and they're making, you know, these memes aren't just, I wouldn't just call them memes. They're like art because they all have like, they take a long time to make. Um, they're all very aesthetically like complex and nuanced and there's always a thread, you know, like at this point I can look at like a meme from this like particular group of people and I can tell who's made it without having to like wow. look at the watermark or whatever. So most of that, I think most of their audience are people like me. So something interesting, maybe an interesting point to ponder is uh, sometimes people will post memes that are, let's say like cringe or mm-hmm. kind of out of character and they don't post any sort of caption or anything, but people will still engage with that meme ironically because they know the person so well that they just assume they're sharing this cringe whatever meme or this like kind of deep fried old head meme (laughs) facebook meme um like in an in an ironic way and that's where some of the well this is like kind of fun you're like in on the joke that's where things can start getting like problematic as well because you're just assuming right so you this is an interesting concept that i've been toying with for uh, years josh and i did a 
um, we're, we're pushing a lot of meme literacies around where we do what we do is because we feel just like what we, what you just said is like, I understood every single word of what you just said. But I feel like when we talk about posting ironically or using a deep fried old head meme, like those are, I love those terms. Like I just, it took, it takes me days in my classes to kind of deconstruct that or reverse engineer it for even a, uh, a student, a student's point of view, yeah. simply because like you said, you have, I think like many people who actually don't realize they have it, they have a meme literacy that's innate, almost like a, a clear-eyed view of an understanding. And so you, you see a meme or you see a series of memes or a creator and you already can, it's more of a feel, like it's sending that, that the nature. So it, when I don't like the term that's used uh, for this when it comes to, they don't really have a great term for it other than like a dog whistle because it's, working it actually does whistle out with a silence and it does work but there's better words for it which is just like visual learning or visual language mm -hmm. and i i how in your work because you you have a, you're in a great program with uh, what sounds to me like really supportive advisors how are you able to do this translation work um with either your readers or your advisors to make it so it's palatable. I don't know. I'm, I'm using poor words in this too. Like, uh, but <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, no, I totally understand. Well, it was a, um, it was kind of a challenge, I think, for us to agree on a common language between me and my supervisors, because I think they also, they're, I don't think neither of them are like in particularly interested in meme culture. They're just really good researchers and they have a really good understanding of how to do research online. So, um, the way that we came to like a common understanding is by pulling references from uh, our work and trying to like synthesize it and understand, like you might not, particularly understand like the depth of like a super like multi-referential super intertextual yeah. meme uh but you can kind of understand some of the um some of the like logic behind it so once you get that then it becomes if you're not like trying to like really explain the meaning of the meme you can like talk about the meme without having to deconstruct it Totally. Because I'm more interested in like the kind of relationships and networks that appear around memes, the like explanation of the memes themselves don't come into play that much, but this is like a definite problem. And the, one of the, one of the ways that we did this is, uh, for instance, um, Karen, Karen Gregory, actually, she, I think she was like, she either has her PhD from, um, the, I think the city university of New York or like taught there or both. So she came in with a lot of like interesting, um, she was like showing me and like, uh, providing me a lot of like interesting resources around, uh, like feminist, like uh, video installations or uh, feminist photography. So we were like, we were talking about some of these like methods of visual learning, like visual expression, intertextual expression. So we're talking about things like collage and zines that have existed for like, uh, like a long time. Uh, and she could like provide those resources to me and I could kind of like annotate it in a way that makes it more like palatable for people who might not be so terminally online. Um, so yeah, but it's a definite problem. I mean, like for instance, how like my parents now, um, they now understand like kind of my work, but it was a real 
challenge of like, you know, like, hey, mommy, dad, <laughs> let me explain what I study. And it's like, how are you going to do that? Yeah. You know, but we came to a common understanding because I started showing them kind of like the the stuff that they share on their Facebook. And I was saying like, this is a meme. This is a meme, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so trying to speak like a common language by pulling on the other like intertextual, like visual stuff people share on the Internet can kind of help breach um, that initial um, language barrier, so to speak. But yeah. I think um, sometimes entrenchment is unhelpful. Like a lot of mm-hmm. people can't, I, I think it's nice that you have the ability to, to do that work. And I think that mm-hmm. to me is the future of meme research is somebody who's able to do the translative commonality language that we could connect mm-hmm. with people. It's, it's a fair amount of what we're doing. We, when Josh and I say meme literacies, we try to frame it in the more uh, usable framework here, which is media literacies, which still takes a fairly uh, traditionalist look at media, like still in like the, what does the director mean? Who is the author? And where we're trying to say, it's more along the lines of like what you were saying, which is you may be able to use other pieces of media to kind of really understand that, or even pieces of generational artifacts. Mm-hmm. There's, there's several memes that go around every so often inside of like somebody who's doing like tweet decks where tweet decking, where they're like, boomer memes versus gen x memes versus millennial versus gen z and the the boomer meme is like just a a straight up what you see is what you get and like a gen z meme is like it just says dave and it's blurry you know (laughs) (laughs) and and it's it's one of those things where to to try to uh, uh, diagnose that uh, is not the same so to put them in the same quadrant is actually kind of funny because it's it's kind of poking fun at the idea that they're not equivalent devices it's literally language but when we do it we often say like that's been that's how it's always been we could take that from the idea of um shortened language or like even just uh, in in language in text and mm-hmm. I, I was seeing that you uh on your interview it was in a uh, german um publication they were talking to you about like the idea of the functions of memes versus like the memes as objects and i I would love to like just talk about when we're we're in this time now where the media our mainstream media has just no idea how to talk about memes and in the u.s as you know we had the insurrection and pepe the frog was part of the insurrection like he went into the capital and it was so hard for them to understand how that could have happened how do you foresee like the structural media kind of getting an understanding of these nuanced pieces of visual media. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Um, I was hoping you'd have an answer because I don't. (laughs) I mean, it's just interesting. It seems like there is a renewed, not renewed, but like uh, there is kind of like growing interest into. So, okay. Like I'll give an example. I think maybe i don't really like this whole like uh, generational discourse i try mm-hmm. not to use it often because i don't like i don't think it's about generations i think it's about like you said like meme literacy you know i know people who are um 20 years older than me who are making really funny memes mm-hmm. but so it's not like necessarily a generational issue but uh, for instance, the person, Ben, who I talked to um, for that interview, he was telling me, how do I, I found that there's this barrier between me and my dad. We both love Lord of the Rings, but I tried to show him Lord of the Rings memes and he just doesn't understand it. I don't understand why he doesn't understand it because he knows everything about the lore. You know, he could get these like 
uh, jokes. So it seems like maybe there is like a newer, um, as like, yeah, like mainstream media gets, I don't want to say younger, but as it changes with, you know, you have different like younger um, reporters or writers who are like coming into it saying, okay, there is this like, maybe they want to start talking about memes or try to like explain what memes are because they're finding this problem in their own life Mm -hmm. where they can they're seeing that memes are playing a big role between them and their friends. And then they have this like problem with their parents, like, or like people from, or like a little bit older. So it seems like maybe the way that mainstream media will get to grips with like the idea of how uh, deep memes run will be through maybe a new generation of journalists who, who get it. I mean, for instance, I know someone, Hussein Kesvani, mm-hmm. on, uh, you might know him. Yeah. Yeah. So for instance, he's a, he knows a lot about memes and he's just started a new, I think it's like a BBC podcast oh. recently about digital errors, for instance. And when people are like that are coming into these institutions, I think they're going to probably have to do a lot of um, like convincing, which is kind of annoying, but I think they will, they will introduce some of like the complexities of memes instead of just being like, well, what are memes and how are they used sort of thing? Yeah, that's, Um, I like that. That's very optimistic. That's, (laughs) I I, know, I agree with you. I think uh, we've been watching in the States, uh, we're hosting a, an event with several internet culture reporters who we feel have their, are on the pulse. They, they really do get it, but they're working for outlets that are general audiences. So they have no real choice. They have to do translation work. Mm-hmm. So I think you're right. I think maybe I'm just being impatient. Like I want, <laughs> I want everybody to understand it now. And I think your point is well taken that we kind of have to let that take the course as we get a better understanding. That's a, that's great. So two, two more real quick questions. There was a question about, um, a term that I never heard was in that, that outlet. And I don't know if I'd use it perhaps, but, uh, video memes or what in the article it said memes, <laughs> how is TikTok going to play a role in the next era of memetics and memes? Yeah. TikTok is really interesting. I mean, it's this, like, I don't feel like completely, like, I don't have a handle on it. I don't think as, as, as well as some other people, but I do have some like musings. I am on TikTok. I'm kind of a lurker because I'm just like, like I said in that, um, in that piece as well, I'm kind of, I'm 28. And, uh, when, you know, we were on the internet. I mean, I'm talking, I'm saying we, but like many of um, people from my generation, we were on the internet pretty anonymously until Facebook um, kind of came in. So this is when I remember this was in 2007 Mm -hmm. that I thought there's no way I'm going to put my name and my last name (laughs) and my picture on the internet. Like, are you kidding me? And the school that I go to, and then people can know all of my friends. I'm never going to do that. And it was like, I think maybe a month later, I got a Facebook because (laughs) all my friends were doing it. So up until that point, I think we were quite conservative in the way that we use the internet where, you know, you didn't necessarily put your face out there so much, but what I find on TikTok, younger people seem to be much more comfortable, um, putting themselves, their like 
their bodies, their physical, their physicality, mm -hmm. um, you know, their face, their their name or their voice on um, on the internet for um, you know on TikTok. I feel like maybe video memes and audio memes. I think uh, Crystal Epidin calls them audio memes, and she's she heads the TikTok I think research network, mm -hmm. and she has a lot of um, she's written a lot about TikTok, and I think there she was talking about these like audio memes. And um, it seems like it's going to be more personalized and um, memes are starting to, not starting to, but there's like a lot of memes that are almost like filters now. So that's like part of Instagram as well, where you have like a filter and it's like, you've got this scenery in the back or um, like recently I used one that's like um, kind of supposed to imitate the inside of like a very traditional Turkish home. And that's supposed to be funny. So you're like placing yourself in there. The smartest thing to say at this point would probably just be, yeah, they're going to probably get a lot bigger than they are now. So the, the last question is kind of a, an overall big question for you, which is how are you balancing all this? And can you tell us about your, the meme, the meme kit zine that, you, that just came oh, out yeah. as well. You're, if you want to start with that and then how you do the meme studies research network along with all your work. Oh yeah. Um, so the meme kit zine is this really lovely, I was just, it's just like a nice, like lovely piece. It's uh, not, it's supposed to be kind of like an experimental sort of, um, um, just printed material about memes. So it basically, I don't know if you follow freeze memes, um, double E, uh, instead of IE, you know, like the freeze, like art magazine. So freeze magazine is this, um, is headed by my friend, Jem, who's also from Turkey. He, uh, has a pretty like sizable, I think he's got like 60, 70 K like followers. Um, and he makes a lot of his memes are about kind of the art world and alienation in the art world, marginalization, it kind of just like makes fun of, you know, arts as, as like, you know, art world, um, like culture. So he and I, we like became friends a few, yeah, I think it was like last year and we started talking about potentially doing something together. So initially we had the idea of a, of like a toilet paper, um, zine where we would, uh, <laughs> we would uh, print stuff on a, on like, um, pers personalized, like, um, toilet paper roll. <laughs> Uh, didn't end up happening because like the, the, the company was, it's just like the quality is so bad that we were like, okay, we need to just like go back to the, the traditional methods, you know, not try to make like such a big joke out of it. And yeah, so we just ended up kind of pulling together our like, so it's like three people, four people, I think, including me. And it's like four pieces about memes. Um, so I, my piece is called like meme aphorisms. So it's just kind of like one or two sentence musings about memes that maybe shouldn't be taken like uh, too seriously. But, <laughs> um, and then there's some like really interesting pieces in there. So I got like the, I had the opportunity to edit it as well. And uh, it was uh, recently published. It was published in Istanbul. And um, it's actually, I want to like give everyone a link to go and get it. But it's uh, fortunately or unfortunately, I don't know, it's been sold out online. Oh, wow. Good for you. Um, <laughs> but I think there is a second edition coming, um, second uh, printing. And then um, how is the Meme Research Studies Network going? Like, how are you... 
I mean, yeah, so being a student it, and doing this is uh, it's hard, and I feel like I'm constantly letting people down. <laughs> so that's I'm like sure. I think that just comes with the uh, being a PhD student too. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> it's just like a constant like barrage of just being like super anxious all the time. But um, uh, the memes it started out small, and it was uh, but then now I kind of you know it, sometimes you like. I, I feel like I asked for it. You know, I put myself in a position where I said, oh, I will like, you know, I will run the Discord. Actually, I'll do a website. Actually, let me do a Twitter. Oh, you know what would be nice on Instagram. And so now I'm I'm in charge of like 10 different, (laughs) something like 10 different platforms and projects. And, and my problem is that like we're not supported by anyone. I get like no money for this. It's like just the purely from like the depths of like my obsession and um of like my derangement that I feel like a like a pull like like a com- um compulsion to to run this network and also because I met like amazing people and now I've, I have like all these like lovely friends from all over the world who's also interested in memes. So um I feel, I feel a little bit, um, nervous to ask too much of people because it's like, you know, there's like this whole discussion about unpaid labor and like why you would want to put anything out there for like no money or no whatever. And I just try to like appeal to people's like common, you know, the common threads and the common like interest of, you know, let's like do something together. And like, wouldn't it be nice if you, if, you like contributed something and there's been like now there's um lots of people who are like for instance we have a reading group that is not mm-hmm. run by our uh, um lovely uh, members danielle and madeline and they are like doing so much they're picking out books they're like um writing down notes and they're organized they have they do the zoom they're like organizing the reading group every every month and that takes a whole lot of labor and i feel so lucky to like be in touch with people who are just as interested in this as as i am so i kind of just the way you know it is a lot of work it definitely is a lot of work and um it does the the inbox the gmail inbox does stress me out sometimes but it's made easier by people who are just as interested and just as passionate and like other, you know, we have like other people like Julia. Um, we have, <laughs> so, um, Julia Giorgio from, she's a PhD student in Italy as well. So mm-hmm. she's helping out and with, um, we're going to have like other talks and she's going to be moderating one talk. So it's made easier by, by other like nice interested people, I'd say. Yeah. Well, we, we appreciate it. And <laughs> I know every, nobody sees it. You as not holding up. We, we are all in awe of your incredible work. It's, it's oh, really great and so really, really appreciative, like more than maybe more than you may, you may currently know, but it's, <laughs> it, it really is. So, and we're here to support you as well. We really appreciate mm-hmm. all you do. Where can people find you and connect with you? Oh my gosh, I'm on so many things, I, I don't even know what's like, I'll say, okay, like on Twitter, it's my, you can find me 
Itin Galip, I-T-I-L-G-A-L-I-P. And then if you want to follow me on Instagram, but that's not very like professional, but it's kind of like unhinged. I'm a little bit unhinged <laughs> on there. So that's uh, my Instagram is Cybervolta. And you can just like, if you Google me, I love putting stuff on my website. So there's, uh, if you Google my name, then you can find like other ways to contact me if need be. Excellent. Thank you, Edith, so much for your time today and all the work you do and such good luck with all of your studies. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Digital Void podcast. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. We'd love to hear your feedback. You can write to us via our website's contact form at digitalvoid.media. Stay tuned once again on August 30th for a special announcement about our next live event. Stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll see you next week.